Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I remember a time, guys, when I was in an, an adult Sunday school class. Now, there, there are times when you have an adult Sunday school class. This is way back in Cape Girardeau, and I remember the Sunday school teacher, open your Bibles, and we'd all sit and and talk, and the teacher was teaching a passage that included the term or the phrase gospel. He was teaching the gospel, and as we all pondered that word gospel, I vividly recall that the teacher said it it meant good news, and then he just kind of left it at that. It's like, oh, what does gospel mean? It means good news, and I remember going, okay, good news. Yeah, it does mean good news, but he moved on with the rest of the lesson. I remember thinking to myself, it has to mean more than just good news. I mean, we can't just kind of pass it through good news. It has to mean more. And I like the way that A.B. Simpson describes the gospel when he writes, the gospel is more than good news, he says. It tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied. Good news is the sin has been atoned for, that judgment of the guilty may be revoked. The condemnation of the sinner canceled. Listen to what he says. The curse of the law blotted out. The gates of hell closed. The portals of heaven opened wide. The power of sin subdued. The guilty conscience healed. The brokenhearted comforted the sorrow and the misery of the fall undone. That's what the gospel means. That's what A.B. Simpson, I like that. I like that. I don't want to be in a Sunday school class and say, hey, good news. That's the gospel. Amen. Let's move on. Right? Because this has to be more than just simply good news. Because it is the best news in the entire world. But we need to break down the gospel message. We need to fully understand it. It needs to get inside us or else we'll walk around and we'll teach it. It's just good news. Hey, did you hear the good news? Hey, did you hear that? I've got a good news Bible. It's good news. We have to really get it to understand it, guys. Because God wants to get in our heart and he wants to penetrate those things so we can understand what the gospel means. And you go, okay, Ben, let's go. Let's go for it, bro. Let's break it down. Let's break down the gospel message. Well, first and foremost, in the Greek, the word for gospel is euanglion, euanglion. It's E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-O-N, euanglion. And you go, well, what does it mean? That sounds like a big word. Well, it means good news. It means good news. But, but far more than that, it means good news. And, 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 and here it is. Let's, let's explain it a little more. When it comes to the gospel, guys, there was a great pastor by the name of Thomas Watson who once said, check this out, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. That's what he said. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Now, here's what he means by that. Until we truly understand the problem, we won't under, or we won't savor the solution. Until we fully understand the problem. In other words, listen to me, your sin has to be real in order for God's grace to be sweet. That's what he's saying. He's saying, till sin be bitter. Oh, I get it. Christ will not be sweet. That's what he's talking about. Now, here's one of the main problems that we live with in 2018. You go, what's that? It's called absolute truth. Absolute truth, right? you're saying, Ben, that, that truth is, is a problem? Yep, here's the problem, right? Listen, if our sin has to be real in order to begin to understand the grace of God so that we understand and accept and allow the good news to penetrate our hearts, 
we have to believe that is absolute truth. That is the true gospel message. Then is, is basically it stands to reason that the enemy would set out to destroy or distort this truth. If absolute truth is I am a sinner and I need to be reconciled back to a God, well, then the enemy is going to go, I need to distort that absolute truth. You go, okay, what do you mean? Well, that's one of the problems we have. Many people, guys, don't believe in absolute truth. They believe that if they believe or don't believe something, then it's to them, it's not true. You go, what do you mean? If you say, hey, you're here today and you are a sinner. The Bible says you're a sinner and you cross your arms and you go, I don't believe that. I don't believe this sinner. And what we do is we try to justify it, right? We try to justify it. We start saying, well, I'm not really a sinner. See, I don't, I don't do the big ones. Like I don't lie and I don't murder and I don't steal. So I am not a sinner. And again, it's whatever you think you believe or don't believe right, that, 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 that makes it true. And here we know that the Bible says this, Romans 3.23, Paul tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here's, here's absolute truth. Absolute truth is all of us have sinned. Can I get an amen? Because we understand that. You go, do we? Do we? Well, pastor, what if I don't believe Romans 3.23? What if I don't believe all have sinned? Again, that's where the devil comes in, right? Here's what the, listen, you have to believe that you have sinned and that you've fallen short of God's standard. But if you say, no, no, Pastor, I, I, I haven't sinned, then that become, that can, can become true to you because it's not the absolute truth. You know, what do you mean? Well, I hear so many people say, guys, in certain circles that when it comes to sin, They justify their lifestyle by choosing what to believe and what not to believe. You go, Pastor, you're confusing me. What are you saying? Here's the problem. The problem is that the word of God has given us absolute truth. You have a choice at that point to fully understand and fully accept it and go, I believe in absolute. I am a sinner until sin sin be what? Right? Bitter. And Jesus won't be sweet. Okay, so the enemy comes in, and he starts distorting that, and you go, wait, 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 I don't know if I really believe that. Well, here's what you're doing. Listen to me. Listen to me closely. When you don't believe in the absolute truth, then here's what you're doing. You're there creating a God that's not the God of the Bible. That's what you're doing. And there are a lot of people, and I would lovingly would tell you, you're, when you sit there and go, well, I don't know if I believe certain parts of the Bible, and I don't know if I believe this, and I don't believe, I don't, I'm not really sure, then you, you're going to create a God that's not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible said to you and I, under the inspired word of God, that we are all, have, we've all sinned, we've all blown it, we're all on the same level. And until we fully understand that, then I say, hey, how many of you need Jesus? I don't need Jesus, because I haven't sinned. No, you have. The Bible says, well, I don't know if I believe the Bible. And me and God, guess what? Me and God, we have it all worked out. We have it all worked out, right? Whenever you confront somebody who doesn't believe in absolute truth, and again, that's the youth of of our day, many reactions are this. Me and God are tight. Don't worry about it. Me and God are tight, right? We have it all worked out. Him and I, we have a special understanding. And the problem is, guys, is is that we lose the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible. And in an effort, in an effort to make friends, and in an effort to, to keep our churches filled, we, we sort of just go, amen. Okay. 
We try to preach it, but, but here's the thing. Until you fully understand, guys, that sin has wrecked everything in your life, Christ will not be sweet. And if Christ is not sweet, think about it. He needs to be the very effect, the love of your life. Everything should filter through Christ, that you love him. Everything in Christ should filter that way. And so again, we think about that. That's the gospel message. I get it, Ben. The gospel message is what? Christ has to be sweet. And in order for Christ to be sweet, sin has to be bitter. Sin has to be bitter. You go, okay, I think I got it. You go, what else? Well, number two, jot this down. In order for news to be good, it has to invade bad spaces. If we're going to call the gospel good news, it has to invade bad spaces. In other words, it has to invade places where there might be some anxiety, where there might be some fear. Those are dark places, okay? In order for it to be good, like, like for example, there, there might be some bad things going on, and, and you might be going into a dark place with the doctor, and the doctor says, listen, we've run some tests, and, and, and you're thinking, this is a very dark, bad space. But he says, but I have good news. And you're like, good news? Yeah, here's what you need to do. Take this couple of weeks, you'll be fine. And you walk out of there going, good news. That's good news. Yes. Why? Because for good, for news to be good, it has to invade very, very dark spaces. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing for us. But then we go back to absolute truth and we go, well, listen, I'm not in a dark space. Listen, this is how God made me. This is how I was born. This is, listen, God, it's your fault that I'm like this. And you go, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, gospel in order for it to what? For it to be good news, it has to reach those dark spaces. In other words, you have to understand what Paul said. We're sinners. We've messed up. In and of ourselves, church, we can't go to heaven. As much as we try, as much as we, I'll work for it, I'll do this, I'll do that. Paul's saying, no, 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 listen. Listen, you've, you've missed it. You've missed it. Third, The third thing, church, listen, the gospel is for those who are going to get saved and those who are already saved. You go, wait a minute, whoa, what do you mean? What do you mean? Guys, think about this. Think about this. This is why it's so important that we unpack the gospel, okay? Because we present the gospel, we present the gospel in reality. This is reality, Okay, reality was before I got saved, I was in a very dark place. Uh, The sin was ruling my life. I had no concept of God. I didn't even know. And listen, I could even tell you that I believed in him, but I didn't have my faith and trust in him. And and so what Jesus said is, okay, this is the gospel. It was it illuminated my heart. It illuminated my mind. I saw him. I realized I accepted him. My life was different. But here's the thing is the gospel makes us count the cost. It makes us count the cost, okay? The gospel message in being saved says, listen, okay, here's what your life may look like to follow Jesus. Here's our problem. Here's our problem. At times, we we present the gospel in consumer form. Listen, if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be cool. You're going to have, you know that car you've been looking at? You're going to pay off that car. It's going to be, you give your life to Jesus, your rebellious kids, they're going to come home. Your your finances, give your life to Jesus. Guess what? You're going to get that check in the mail. Trust me. 
Trust me. This is what God, and, and, and again, think about it. We start using the gospel what in, in the way of consumer. Oh, okay, okay. Now, here's what happens. There are a lot of people who come in with, with hearts that are broken. They've have, they're just messed up. Life is messed up. And you say, hey, why don't you give Jesus a try? And they'll go, hey, I'll give Jesus a try. I'll give my life to the Lord. And we go, yes, praise the Lord. But they haven't counted the cost. The cost of following Jesus. The cost of laying your life down for the God that created you. You go, well, Ben, is it worth it? it man, it, it, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And that's the gospel message. And we need to understand that. And so it's so important that you understand what the gospel is and what the gospel does. Okay? Because as we come to chapter 5, we're going to see that God had already been explaining the gospel way before we even knew it. Okay? So remember, guys, remember in chapter 3, Right after Adam and Eve sinned. Do you guys remember that? Okay. I find it I find it very interesting. There's Eve, right? Hey, don't 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 go by the tree. Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Because when you do, guys, when you eat it, you'll surely die. And we find Eve probably hanging out very close to the tree, because we know she got something from the tree. Okay? And so there we are, and there and, and, and next thing you know, they sin and they fracture everything okay but the first thing that they do guys right after that happens is that god begins to clothe them do you guys remember how with animal clothing okay so they try to cover themselves with fig leaves and god says no no no, that's not going to work that's not going to work once you pull a fig leaf off the vine guys it dries up and it just it, it produces this itchy substance that just makes you itch all over so God's going, no, 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 your feeble attempts to cover up are not going to do it. There must be a animal sacrifice. You go, what was the point of that? He was already pointing to Christ. He was already saying there's going to be a sacrifice to reconcile us back to God. So right off the bat, it wasn't like God was going, oh, you know, pacing heaven. Oh, they sinned. I didn't see that coming. Uh, Gabriel, come here. We need to have a meeting. Gather everyone. What are we going to do? Well, maybe we could send Jesus, but I don't, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, G- Jesus, are you interested in, in dying? For, no, you're not right now. Okay. Well, I don't know. And, and so maybe, Mike, see, again, that's not, what's, that's not what's going on in heaven. God is going, I knew they were going to fall. I knew they were going to be disobedient. And so I'm sending my son. And so we also learned, guys, if you're taking note, in chapter 3, we also learned the root of sin, and in chapter 4, we saw the fruit of sin, okay? So we looked at that. Now, in chapter 5, we see the gospel message laid out in the names of the godly line of Adam, okay? God is now communicating salvation through Jesus by actually the names of our patriarchs. You go, in chapter 5? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get to that. But I want to touch on this just one more time because I really want it to sink in our heart. Remember what we talked about last week, okay? It was the last part of Genesis chapter 4. It was called The Tale of Two Cultures, and it all started out by Cain leaving the presence of God. Verse 16, it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, if you're taking note, you remember Nod means wandering, wandering, okay? He says, Cain, you're going to be a wanderer, and where are you going to live? 
you're going to live in wandering. Okay? Hi, my name is Cain. I'm a wanderer, right? And I live in wandering. That's what he says. So he left the presence of the Lord. Okay? But he doesn't stay in Nod, right? You guys remember that? But Cain, he, what does he do? He builds a city, and he actually names it after his firstborn named Enoch. So it's the city of Enoch. So he doesn't stay in Nod. He says, I'm not going to stay in Nod. I'm going to go, and I'm going to build my own city. Y'all come and live with me. My family's going to build. We're going to call it after our firstborn, Enoch. Now, let's chat for just a moment, okay? Let's chat for just a moment because I want this to sink in. I want you to really feel the weight of what he's saying and what it means to be out of God's presence, okay? Biblically, what does it mean? First and foremost, it means that our conversation with God is over. That's exactly what it meant when Cain walked out of the presence. The conversation was done. Okay, he left the presence, right? And you know, <clears throat> we know that God never left Cain, but we know that Cain left God's presence. And I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, you're never going to talk to God again, Cain. And I'm thinking, what a privilege, guys, what a privilege it is for us to talk to God anywhere, anytime, any place that we can pray and we can go to him and we can boldly, because of Jesus, we can go to the throne and we can pray to him right now. What a, what a privilege that is. What a privilege. Cain, what does he do? He forfeits, he forfeits the right to communicate with God the way he did before. Okay, God, I'm done. I'm done talking to you. Now, here's my thought, guys. Here's my thought. If you were to die in your sins, I'm quoting from John Right, John chapter 13 and, and earlier where he tells the Jews, you are going to die in your sins. And we know what that means, right? To die in your sins means to be separated from God eternally. Eternally. Everybody got that? Okay. If you were to die in your sins without being born again, the moment you die, listen to me, your conversation with God is over. Right? Now, you may want to talk to God, but in reality, the moment you die in your sin, that conversation's over. So in essence, Cain leaving the presence of God shows us a picture, a horrifying picture of what it means for those who die in their sins not to be able to talk to God anymore. Oh, sure, they're crying out, God, please, why am I in this place? Some of them might be complaining, I can't believe that you are, whatever it might be, but they're not able to communicate to God the way we can right now. And I'm telling you, whether you're a believer or non-believer, as long as you're breathing, you can still talk to God. God has not left your presence. Shows us in Scripture. All the more reason you and I should have a fervency to tell others about Jesus. Fervency, because... Because this is the reality. This is the reality. I think that's why I think that's why Paul tells us in Second Corinthians chapter two or chapter six, verse two, he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, don't put off. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with Jesus. Today is the day to step up and go, okay, that's what it is. Why? Because think about it. You can leave the presence of God. You go, what else? Number two, 
leaving the presence of God. It means that a life without God and a life without God is trying to find satisfaction in every aspect of your life. That's what it means. You go, I'm going to leave the presence of God. And what we try to do is we try to find eternal satisfaction with things that are not eternal, but they're temporal here on earth. You guys tracking with me? Think about it. We talked about that. The wisest man in the world, Solomon, tells us that we try to fill that. We try to get that satisfaction, right? With how? With money, riches, and wealth. Man, if I just had enough money, if I just had my bank account set up, then I would be happy. Are you kidding me? That's what I need. I don't really need a. I don't really need God. What I need is a bigger bank account, and then I would be happy if I could just go out and buy anything I want. And Solomon says, "No, no, no, no. Listen, 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 guys." He says, you won't find satisfaction. You know, you, you, you know, happiness, it doesn't, money doesn't buy happiness or give satisfaction. He says, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Think about our, think about our country even now. I don't know if anybody won the Powerball. 1.6 billion, right? If I just had that, then, you know, pastor, listen, I would give some to the church. And, and, and I think about it. You know what? problems that you would be that you would be creating with that i was hearing some news reports saying that people would actually follow you find out where you lived and and they would just torture you and hit you up for money if they knew you had won that much money you'd have relatives that come out of the woodwork i mean it's just it can create a lot of problems but the point is the point is if you're getting that powerball ticket and you're going okay this is just going to solve all my problems you're missing it solomon says there's no satisfaction in that you go, I know what it is. I know what it is. We'll have children. We'll have children. Family. Family is where it's at, right? And Solomon says, no, no, no. Family won't satisfy if there is no satisfaction in life with God already. You see, family, your kids, when you're already walking with God, they enhance that walk and they bring satisfaction because you're already satisfied in Christ. If you're trying to make them, here's what you're doing. You ready? And here's what a lot of people do. Okay, don't be mad at me. They take kids and they make them an idol. They put them above the creator. These are the kids. Here's where I have them. And they won't find satisfaction in that. As a matter of fact, they're an idol. And you go, no, 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 no. I need to be satisfied with Jesus first. And then my kids will just enhance the life and I can be satisfied. I can be satisfied. I can have as many kids and family. It's awesome. Be careful, guys, because the little ones that God has entrusted you has entrusted you not to make them an idol, but so that they would help you worship the creator. We don't reverse the creative order. We don't worship the creation. We look at them and go, thank you, God. And I praise you because I need help. Right, Scott? Scott has five kids. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you, God. I need, I need your help. I need your help. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. But we don't make them idols you go what else well he also solomon also teaches us that a long life a long life is it won't bring everlasting if i could just live if i could just live a long life he says you know what it's like chasing the wind have you ever chased the wind no i've been pushed by the wind but i've never chased it it's it you it'd be foolish uh, okay just okay here's your experiment go in your go in your neighborhood and just start chasing the wind and see what people do you're like i would just look foolish and silly exactly Exactly. Right? That's what he says. So again, guys, number two, it means that, listen, we're trying to find satisfaction in relationships, in drugs, in alcohol, in 
whatever else it might be. And he's saying, no, 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 listen, here's the thing. If you would just surrender your life to Jesus once and for all and really mean it, satisfaction would come in. Number three, number three, real quick, okay? Leaving the presence of God, listen to me, leave, it, it means leaving the, the, the place of worship. The place of worship, that's what he left. He left, he went over to the land of Nod, and then he built Enoch, but he left the place of worship. And when we leave the place of worship, guys, guess what we do? We sever our walks with God. That's what we do. Here's what I want you to know, okay? And I want you to think about this. The Bible says that you and I were created to worship. That's what we were created for, okay? But we find no satisfaction in worshiping the creation rather than the creator. But we will try, we will find many outlets to worship even though we don't call it worship. See, you were created to worship. You were created to worship. And the term worship means there's only one person, praise and worship, there's only one person in this whole entire universe that's worthy to be worshiped, and that's the Lord. That's the Lord. But we'll take that and we'll worship our wives. We'll worship our husbands. We'll worship our kids. We'll worship our job. We'll worship, we'll worship, we'll, we'll worship our team, won't we? Because we were created to worship, but there's no satisfaction in that. Only satisfaction is when you come in, guys, and you have a heart and an attitude and you lift up your hands and you sing to the Lord and you say, God, cleanse my heart. I've been in the world all day and it's been trying to get my eyes off you and I just want to lift up my eyes and my heart to you. And you just begin to worship. You begin to worship. Guys, we're losing that art as a church, as churches, as, as the church of, of God, we're losing that art of true worship. We need to get back to the basics of just, of just letting our hearts just flow to the Lord. Worship. Well, when we finished up, guys, moving on, we finished up last week with the ungodly line of Cain. He had five, five sons were given to him, right? Then Lamech had three sons and one daughter. On the other side of the garden, if you will, Adam, and, Adam had Seth, and then Seth begot Enosh. That's where we left off last week. Now, as we come to chapter 5, there are 32 verses. God, in his wonderful, infinite wisdom, gave us a genealogy up until Noah. But if we'll take some time to dig, guys, just a little bit, we'll see the gospel message clear as day. You ready? That's where we are tonight, guys. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created men, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he called them mankind in the day they were created. Now, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle the word genealogy. All it means is history. This is the history of mankind, okay? So we're looking at history. This is what God is doing. It says, in the day, notice that, in this day, God, in the day that God, you can circle that. Notice it doesn't say the Lord. It says God. He's speaking Elohim. He what? In that day, God created, created, okay? Right next to that, you can write bara, B-A-R-A, because it means what? It means to create out of nothing, shape and form out of nothing. That's what he did, okay? That's exactly, he, he knew what man was supposed to look like, and he created him out of nothing, Okay, which is so important, right? It's so important because God goes, this is exactly, I'm going to create man out of nothing. Here's how I'm going to shape him and I'm going to form him 
And God did that. God did that. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to see that God created Adam in the likeness of him. Do you guys see that? It said, and he made him, he made Adam in the likeness of God. Now, we talked about that before, okay? It's also known as the image of God. You were created in the image of God. That's what God did. He created Adam in that image, okay? The problem is that Adam fell. We're going to see that in just a moment. Now, here's what I want you to see. It says, in the book of the history of Adam, in the day God created, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, help me, church, Male and female. Very, very important. Go ahead and underline that or highlight that. You go, why? Because not only did he create them male and female, he blessed them. You go, what is God doing here? God is giving us chapter one once again. He said, God, here's, God told Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. Here's your command. Be fruitful and multiply. Go out, have babies. And Adam said, yes, Lord. Amen. But here's the point. Here's the point. In order to have babies, you need both a male and a female. Now, listen, I understand people could argue all day long, but this is what God said. God said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be, be fruitful, multiply. I'm going to create them male and female. This is what he said. Okay, He created them, he blessed them, and he called them, notice, what did he call them? Mankind, in the day they were created. Okay, so that's where we start off. Go out, do this. Okay, Adam, if you're taking note, means man. Okay, Adam means man. Now, as we look at verses 3 through 32, I want you to write this down so you just understand the pattern. It doesn't have a whole lot of spiritual significance. It's just a pattern. Okay, four details that God's going to give us of the patriarchs. You go, what are they? First of all, he says their name. So you can write down name. Second of all, he's going to give us the age at the birth of his first son. So whenever his first son is born, however old he is, that's what he's going to give us. Okay? Third detail, he's going to give the length of his remaining life. This is how long he lived. That's the third detail. And the fourth, he's going to give us the age of his death. The age of his death. Okay? This is exactly how he's going to go through this. The name the age at the birth of his first son, the length of his remaining life, and the age of his, at his death. Now, remember, we're talking about patriarchs. He's not giving us full details of everyone that has ever been born in the world. He's saying these are the godly patriarchs. Look at verse 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. Just a quick reminder. When Seth was born, how old was Adam, church? Help me out. 130 years old. You guys see that right there, right? It's safe to say that the world was populated, very populated, with just Adam and Eve in a time span of 130 years. Last week, I reminded you that Jewish tradition, it's just, it's not biblical, it's just in the Jewish tradition that they believed at this time that Adam and Eve actually had 33 sons and 23 daughters, Okay? But it lines the idea that Adam and Eve were probably extremely fruitful and multiplied greatly as God commanded them. And the second thing we need to know, and just kind of make a note in our brain, the genetics were quite pure as the environment was at the time. So you could marry your sister and it wasn't weird. It wasn't, there wasn't the, 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 the poisonous genetic pool like we have today. 
So again, this is kind of where we're at. Now look at verse 3 with me again. Adam had a son. His name is Seth, but it says this, that he had a son in his own likeness. What likeness is he talking about? Well, what happened to Adam? Adam was what? Adam had fallen, right? So now it's a sinful likeness. God created Bada. Adam, in his image, in his likeness, Adam brought death and sin into the world. And so Adam has a child. We see that with Cain. And now it's like in his likeness that, that, that sin reigns in him. Sin, you know, sin lives in him. You go, well, what happened? Well, Seth, like the rest of us, were born into sin. That's why we understand till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Okay, you go, what happened? Okay. Through Adam, sin entered the world, fractures everything. Guys, if you'll take a step back and look at mankind in general, you'll see that sin is fracturing lives all around the world. All around the world. And you'll see married couples who are doing really good on the verge of divorce because they won't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives or in their marriage. You'll see, you'll see people struggling with drugs and being addicted to drugs and alcohol. And it started off just one bit and you're saying, oh, look at it, you're so broken and, and sin has fractured you. You're trying to find satisfaction and peace in whatever you can smoke or whatever you can snort or whatever you can drink and it's fracturing and I see this and, and I can see how life has just ruined you. And through Adam, that's what happened. Through Adam, death entered the world through sin. And through Adam, death spread to all men, which means you and me. Which means you and me. So if you're taking notes, this is known as, if you guys remember, it's called federal headship. It's federal headship. Federal headship means the actions of one person affects on everyone who was born thereafter. This is the federal headship. That's what he's saying. In the likeness of Adam, he begets Seth. It's federal headship, right? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as one man, Adam, sin entered the world through the death and sin, and thus death spread to all men, and thus all sinned. Going back to for all have sinned. Now, some people go, I'm not under the federal headship of Adam. Mm -mm. Think about it this way. The federal headship of Adam is the basis by which we can all be saved by the federal headship of Jesus. You go, what did you just say? I just said everything about the gospel. That number one, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. That, that that for it to be good news, it has to invade dark spaces right here. That's exactly said. Until we understand we're under the federal, shed, federal headship of Adam, we cannot step into the realm under the federal headship of Jesus. That's what's going to be good news. And you're sitting here going, Pastor, so what? How is this going to help me? You have to move from the federal headship of Adam in a real relationship with the federal headship of Jesus. That's how salvation happens. That's exactly how it happens. And so we see that Adam, back in verse 3, lived 130 years old, and he begot Seth. And Seth, in his own likeness, after his own image. Now, if you have a pencil handy, start writing these down. 
The name Seth means appointed, foundation, compensation. That's what his name means. If you look it up in the Hebrew, this is where it means appointed. He's going to kind of lay the foundation and it's going to be compensation. In other words, God has appointed a man to compensate me. That's what Eve would say. God has given me another man to replace Abel. Okay? He has appointed another man. Okay? So that's what his name means. Look at verse 4. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. Everybody see that? So he had more kids. Who are they? We don't know. So all the days of Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So here we have Adam. His name means man. He lived a total of 930 years, and he died. Now, I wonder how many kids Adam had living 930 years. Just saying, I was thinking about this, just saying, and the wives are going to look at me going, you're crazy. Just saying that Eve had three months rest before getting pregnant again. Three months. Okay, Adam and Eve at this point could have had 930 sons and daughters. That's a lot of kids. Hey, how many kids do you have? That's you're okay there, Scott, compared to that. I mean, 930 kids. I mean, what do you what do you do with that, right? And if their sons and daughters had kids, all the way, we can see how the earth could populate very fast, which answers the question, where did Cain get a wife? Very easy, very easy. If God had already, what, have already sent him to, to the city of Nod, that means that there was already people living there. Probably a cousin, maybe a sister, whatever it might be. But nonetheless, that's where Cain got his wife. Well, Seth, look at verse 6. Seth lived, what, 105 years, and he begot Enosh. And after he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years. So Seth, at 105, he begot Enosh. You go, what does his name mean? His name means mortal, fleshly, Human, man, frail, miserable. All of these are, are encompasses the name. You go, what are they again? You can put mortal, frail, and miserable. That's <laughs> I don't know if you want to name your kid, hey, miserable, come here. Hey, frail, you know, but I mean, that's what he's naming. He's naming him, you know. You go, what do you mean? Well, uh, my dad was appointed, but he, he, mean, he named me fleshly. He named me human. He named me human. Everybody got that? Mortal, frail, miserable. Seth lived to be what? 912 years old, and then the Bible says he died. He died. So now we have Seth, we have Enosh. Look at verse 9. Enosh lived 99 years and begot, oh, I'm sorry, 90 years and begot Kenan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. So Enosh, at 90 years old, begat Canaan, or you can say it Kenan, K-E-N-A-N, and his name means sorrow. The root is lament, and it also gives the implication of a very sad funeral song. That's what he named his kid. He named his kid Sorrow. Right? Frail, miserable, named his kid Sorrow, sad, lamenting. This is not good. This is not good. 
Wow, why would you name that? Well, we know that Enosh said, okay, Kenan, this is what you're going to be. And Enosh lived how many? He lived a life of 905 years, and then he died. Well, Kenan, verse 12, lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel. Mahaliel. And he begot Mahaliel. Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. Verse 14. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. So Kenan lived what? At 70 years old, he begot Mahaliel. Mahaliel. You go, okay, I see it. What does his name mean? His name means the blessed God or praise of God. The blessed God or praise of God. Very interesting in the Hebrew. Okay. So Mahaliel, that was cool. Hey, blessed of God. Yeah, yeah, you know it. Yeah, you know it, right? That's what he is. It's the praise of God. And he lived, Kenan, his dad, lived a life of 910 years, and then he died. Now, what I find interesting is he doesn't tell us how he died. It just says he died. Now, Mahaliel, verse 15, lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahaliel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters, verse 17. And all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he died. So Mahaliel, at 65, he begot Jared. Well, what does Jared mean? If you're taking note, it means descent. The verb is yarad, meaning shall come down. That's what his name means. Jared means shall come down. Descent. They're like, cool. So, blessed by God, named his kid, that patriarch, shall come down. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Jared, right? Jared. So, again, he named him shall come down. Mahaliel lived a life at 895 years, and then he died. Look at verse 18. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. So Jared, at 162 years old, he begot a son by the name of Enoch. You ready for his name? Teaching, disciple, dedicated. That's what it means. Teaching, discipling, dedicated. So, you go, what does that mean? Well, shall come down, had a son, and he named him teaching, disciple, and dedicated. Jared lived a life of 962. That's a long time. Almost a thousand years, and he died. Well, verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24, everybody see it? And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Whoa, stop right there. Why? Because now we've changed just a little bit. Enoch was 65 years old. He begot a fellow by the name of Methuselah. Guess what his name means? The name Methuselah comes from two roots. Muth, the root means death, and from Shalak, which means to bring or to send forth. Thus, the name Methuselah signifies his death shall bring. His death shall bring. Okay? So Enoch has a son, and he goes, when he dies, it will come, or his death shall bring. Everybody got that? You're going, wow, this is, this is interesting. 
Now, in verses 21 to 24, guys, we can look forward to something called the rapture of the church and the ever-impending grace of God. Why? Well, let's keep going. Enoch, guys, never died. At the age of 365, he was walking with God and God took him. Do you guys see that? I want you to note the word took. In the Hebrew, it's L-A-Q-A-C-H. Um, and, and I don't even know how, how even to look, look. I couldn't even pronounce it, but it's, it, that's the Hebrew. And here's what it means. It means to take, to get, to fetch, to lay hold, to seize, to receive, to acquire, to buy, to bring, to marry, to take, to snatch away. And that's what caught my eye, to snatch away. I was like, whoa, okay, to snatch away. That's what he's saying. He, you, what is he saying? He's saying, check it out. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God, snatched him. Took him away. He didn't die. He pulled him up. Okay? Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to start down these two references when it comes to walking with God. You go, what is it? Well, first of all, Amos 3.3 tells us, can two walk together unless they are agreed? So God and Enoch were walking, and they were in agreement. 365 years. God says, boom, time to go. Time to go. Hebrews 11.5 says this, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, nor was he found because God had taken him. But before he was taken, he had this testimony that he had pleased God. So we see that God just snatched him, right? And I love the story because it was like God and Enoch were walking one day and Enoch says, God, it's getting late. I better go home. And God says, no, you know what? We're a lot closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And God took him. And God took him. And I just, I just love that. I love that. So we see, guys, we see that what? That, that, that Enoch was walking with God. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's the implication and the application for us. You ready? To walk with God simply means that you're growing in the Lord. You're growing in the Lord. When you come with your Bible study, you're like, oh, pastor, do you see this? Oh, man, that means you're walking with God. You're walking with God. I always liken this, and, and Nathalie uses this story all the time, but when you walk with God, it means that you walk, and you walk at a pace where you can just kind of walk together. There are times in my marriage when I walk way ahead of Nathalie. I mean, we'll be with a group, and I'm just like, I've got to get to where I've got to get. That's not walking with Nathalie. When I walk with Nathalie, we walk together, we hold hands, and we look at stuff, and we, we meander, and we walk. That's walking with God. We're growing together. And some of us think walking with God simply means what? Walking with God means, I'm going to walk. Come on, Lord, let's go. And it's like, no, no, no. It means that we're growing in the Lord. So you've got to ask yourself one question. Am I growing? Am I growing? Because I really want to walk with God. I really want to walk. Right? So that's what it means. It means that. Now, it also means that what? It means that, that he was walking with God and God took him. Well, we compare this to what Paul told the, the church at Thessalonica. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, I won't read it all, but listen, it said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. You guys see that? Caught up? Okay? Together with them in the clouds, the word caught up is harpazo. Okay? It means to snatch up, to snatch and that's where in, in, in the Latin, it's rapturus, where we get the word rapture. 
So Paul's saying there's going to be a rapture, and it's the same Hebrew word snatched up, and it says, boom, we're going to be the same way. In the twinkling of eye, Paul says in Corinthians, he says, and we're going to meet the Lord in the air, thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So we see a preview of what's going to happen. Back in the Old Testament, chapter 5, we see, okay, this is going to happen. Now, our brothers and sisters, probably throughout the ages, right, we're looking, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine there the, after the resurrection and then and then Jesus' ascension? They're probably just going, well, let's just hang out for a while because he's going to be right back. And then now you and I have the privilege of just going, okay, maybe today, maybe today. We we get so caught up in the world, guys, that we forget that Jesus can come back today. He can come back. He can. Man, with a twinkling of an eye, half a blink, that's what Jesus can do. Ben, you mentioned the grace of God too. What about the grace of God? Well, guys, note this. The next chapter, guys, is the chapter of the flood, the great flood. That's not going to happen until Methuselah dies. You go, well, I don't see God's grace. You know where God's grace is? Is Methuselah lived 969 years old. He He holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest man ever living. But I just see God's grace because he waited 969 years before he sent the flood. And if you have somebody today that you're praying for that you go, man, they just won't repent. They're a mess. Don't give up on them. Don't give up. If God waited 969 days before, and that's the whole point, right? Well, I thought Jesus was coming back for you, bro. What happened? God's waiting. He's just waiting. He's so merciful that, that we're just, he's just waiting. And he wants to see everyone saved. He, he, we don't see and feel the importance of, of what's happening spiritually. God does. And he goes, okay, just wait. Just a few more. Just a few more. 969, whatever that means to the Lord. Okay. Okay. But one day, we're going to hear that trumpet sound. He closed the ark. One day, the rain started to fall. And so God is not slack concerning his promises, guys, that some call slackness. It's going to happen. The question is, are you ready? Are you in a right relationship to go, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to be looking up tomorrow going, Lord, is today the day? And if the Lord says, not today, then we say, okay, I got to work. Got to work. I got to work. I got to work. Got to work. So that's grace. Verse 25. And Methuselah lived 187 years and we got Lamech. After he got Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969, and he died. Okay? So Methuselah was 187. He begat Lamech. Lamech means lament, lamenting, despairing, or hopeless. That's what Lamech means, hopeless, despairing. Okay? So Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. And when he died, guess what happened? Chapter 6 came. Chapter 6 came. Okay, so keep that in mind. So Lamech, guys, Lamech lived 182 years, had a son, right? Notice what it says. He called his name Noah, saying, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech, were 777 years, and he died. So Lamech was 182, 
he begat Noah. His name, what does Noah mean? Jot this down. It means comfort, peace, and rest. Comfort, peace, and rest. So Lamech, which means lamenting, had Noah, and his name means comfort, peace, and rest. He lived a life of 777 years, and then he died. Verse 32, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Japheth. That is verses 2 through 32. Now let's close with the gospel message. You guys ready? Listen. I fully understand that the names could be allegorical, okay? Some people go, that's just an allegory. You can't really describe the gospel. I get that, guys. I understand that. But I believe right now our God is giving us the history of the world as well as the plan of redemption. You go, how so? Let's put it together. Adam means man, right? Man appointed Mortal sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching his death shall bring the hopeless, despairing rest and comfort. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel, okay? And in there, he says, and by the way, I'm going to rapture y'all out. I'm going to rapture. Quick note. When was Enoch taken? Way before the flood. Way before the flood. No, Enoch did not have to go through the judgment of the flood. I believe, guys, that we too are going to be raptured before the great tribulation. I believe that God is showing us a preview and he's, and he's showing us the gospel message. Man appointed sorrow and the blessed God shall come down. Who's that, guys? Jesus. He's going to come down teaching, discipling, and his death shall bring. What's his death going to bring? To the hopeless and the despairing? It's going to be rest and comfort. Here's a summary of God's plan of redemption. Hidden within the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. But more importantly, here's the gospel. You ready? Listen to me. The gospel, it tells rebellious men that God is reconciled. Did I get an amen? That justice is satisfied. Amen. That sin has been atoned for. That judgment of the guilty may be revoked. The condemnation of the sinner canceled. The curse of the law blotted out. The gates of hell closed. The portals of heaven open wide. The power of sin subdued. Our guilty conscience healed. The broken heart comforted and sorrow and misery of the fall undone. So here's my question to you tonight. Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard the good news? 
Are you willing tonight to say, Pastor, I'm willing to follow Jesus no matter what? No matter what? It's the gospel message. If that's what the gospel did, if God had already made a plan for us through the names of the patriarch, then he has a plan for my life. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not in his plan, but God has a plan for you. You know, Pastor, what do I need to do? Guys, here's the bottom line. It's not about saying a prayer. It's about surrendering to Jesus once and for all. It's about about saying, I turn from my rebellious ways. I turn from darkness to light. I follow you, Jesus. I believe you died for me, and I believe you've got a plan, and I want to give my life to you. See, here's the thing. Only Jesus can do that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You all know that. But maybe, just maybe tonight, the Lord of heaven was speaking to you. And he offers you forgiveness and he offers you love and grace and mercy. Because right now you can still talk to him. But if you were to die in your sins, you can't talk to him anymore. Conversation is broken. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you just pray with me? We just ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the gospel. We know that it's out there. We know that it's preached. We know that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We know that there is no other name that man can be saved but by Jesus. And we know, Lord, that the world is bidding for our attention, for our affection, for our love. But tonight, God, you brought people here to hear this message. And maybe those listening by podcast, maybe those listening by radio, Maybe right now you're saying in your heart, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be in a right relationship with Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I will count the cost. I want my sins forgiven and I want to follow him no matter what, no matter what. And so maybe you're here tonight and with every eye closed and every head bowed, you would say, Pastor, that's me. If that's you tonight and you want forgiveness for your sins and you want to be cleansed and you want to be in a right relationship and you know that God brought you here for a reason, will you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Well, Pastor, why do I have to lift up my hand? I want God to see your heart. This is, this is a spiritual thing between you and him. But you're tired of running from him, and you're ready to surrender completely. You're ready to open up your heart. You're ready to, you're ready to, to just say, God, I want you. I want all of you. If you want your sins forgiven, lift up your hand right now so I can pray for you. God bless you. I see you in the back right there. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else saying just right now? I can't, I can't see your hands, so lift it up high again. God bless you. Anyone else? Just right now, this is between you and the Lord. You and the Lord. He brought you here for a reason, and he's saying right now, this is for you. This is for you. And right now you're fighting. You're going, I don't know. What are people going to think? But all you have to do is say, Pastor, just pray for me. Just pray for me. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the hands that were raised, and I pray that it's a work of your spirit. I pray that tonight, Lord, those that have never given their lives to you, Lord, tonight, tonight would be their night. 
I pray, God, that your spirit would move just so ever gently and, and offer forgiveness and peace and compassion. Everyone that Jesus called in the New Testament, he called publicly. He said there's something about, about coming publicly to solidify what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. So if you want to continue with that step and you're going, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come stand right in front of me and I'm just going to pray a prayer with you. If you're serious about the Lord and you want him to forgive you, you come right now because Jesus is calling you. If you lifted up your hand, to give your life to Jesus, then you come forward. If you lifted up your hand to surrender, you come forward. You give your life to him. If you're serious about this, you come forward. Father, I pray for my brother right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. The work that you're doing in his heart is a work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, this is just a public declaration, God, of a surrendered life to you. And I just thank you for my brother Scott, Lord. Continue to use him and bless him. Anoint him and fill him with your spirit, Lord. Maybe today, the rest of his life, God, serving and loving you. May this, may this area right here be just that, that defining moment, Lord, where it was maybe a complete surrender to you and a love for you. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.